Good morning. The Lord finds us good and finds you good? What an amazing God, isn't he? Do you know, I, I... Wow. I'm just so grateful to God that he chose us for such a good time as this. He chose me. I'm not worthy. None of us is worthy. But we have an incredible God, don't we? An amazing God. You know, I was praying this week, and um, I, I always pray, I've, I've talked about this before, but I always believe that you pray in the same place every day. It doesn't mean you can't pray everywhere, but you know, every day I pray in the same place. That's what I've always done for decades. And, um, you know, I go into my prayer closet, and just the place was just full of the Lord. It was just wonderful to know he's there. Amen. So today I'm going to talk about the, what I believe is the second biggest global deception in history. What do you think I believe is the first global deception? The greatest? Evolution. Okay, so evolution, and I, I'm going to put a little bit of qualification on my hat here. You know, I've studied science now for 47 years. Um, and, uh, you know, when I was a 16-year-old, first being taught evolution before I was saved and um, doing biology A-level, uh, I was listening to my teacher. I can still remember his name. He's still alive today, by the way. The person who taught me biology. And I remember listening to him. Lovely guy. Lovely guy, by the way. He was, you know, really helped me. But I was listening to the theory of evolution and I thought, what a load of rubbish. And this was as a non-unsaved you know, person. I just thought it was total nonsense. And when I got saved, the easiest thing for me to do was suddenly believe in creation. It was just made sense. And all the science made sense. The evolution of science, or the science of evolution, is illogical. Okay. So the second greatest deception in history is global warming or climate change. Even this week, it's been the headlines in some of the newspapers. It's been headlines on the BBC News website. Uh, the BBC are doing a great big thing on it this year for reasons that I will explain to you. Now, I don't know where you stand on climate change. I don't even know if you've thought about it. But let me tell you that the spirit behind it is the same as the spirit behind evolution. All right? And we're talk and glimpse on some of these things. Now, the, the, the science of climate change is complex, which is not what the media would have you believe. And I'm going to try and make something very complex really simple. And I want us to understand the basic tenets and the spirit behind it, okay? I'm going to do a number of headings today. I am going to follow notes for once, I hope. And I... <laughs> all, yeah, there's about 22 pages here, but there's a paper here that I'm going to turn into proper English because it's notes so that you can read it, yeah? And I've got some PowerPoint slides that we're going to go through. Um, but I'm going to try and speak from my heart with the insight that the Lord has given me. This is complex. I have read and listened and looked at both the arguments for 
And I wanted to be fair and be a right scientist and look at the arguments against. Okay? So I've looked at both sides. Uh, I will confess that I've, I've looked at most of the time I've spent looking at the stuff against it because, you know, I'm, I'm honest. I believe the whole thing's a lie. And I give you reasons for that. Um, but I have looked at the science. Now, um, what is global warming? What is climate change? What's the thing, the one sentence that stands behind it? What stands behind it is what we call a hypothesis. This is something we've thought about but haven't proven. Do you understand that? So the hypothesis is that fossil fuels, by that I mean coal, gas, oil, yeah, produces, when we burn it, something called carbon dioxide. And that carbon dioxide... The amount of it is increasing the atmosphere to such an extent that it's warming up the earth and that the hypothesis is that warming of the earth is going to cause catastrophic change in the earth itself such that humankind will not be able to exist. Okay, that's the hypothesis. The thing that I want to say right at the outset, it's, it's never been proven. All right? Never. And I will defy anyone to show me the truth uh, and show me the evidence that it has been proven. The media have, all they have done is say it is, the science is settled. Science is never settled. Okay, that is part of what we call the scientific reckoning, the scientific reason. It's something I was taught at school, and I hope all of you were taught at school. Okay, that science, when I think about something, I come up with a thought. That's my hypothesis. I then have to define and determine whether that becomes theory, i.e. fact. And the way that I do that is I set up an experiment under well-defined, controlled conditions that enable me to know beyond reasonable doubt that that hypothesis is true or false. Do you understand me? That way, hypothesis becomes theory. Let me tell you that for global warming, the hypothesis for a start is wrong before we even get on to the proof and that the theory has never it's never got to the theory but that is not what you hear and today I am going to give you some quotes and reasoning and all this kind of stuff so what the question I'm asking is does hard science back up the widely accepted claim that human activity primarily related to the use of fossil fuels, and we'll look at that briefly, is the major cause of global warming. And has unbiased science documented a rise in global temperature? Okay? So those are two things. They're two separate things. Now, uh, right at the outset, we, we have a biblical mandate as Christians, and I want you to understand that I stand for protecting the environment. Okay? I think there are things that we have done which are absolutely awful. 
so please don't misunderstand me. I'm absolutely behind the fact that we are called to steward the earth. Genesis 1.1 tells us we have dominion over it, we're called to steward it, yeah? So we're all agreed about that, and I'm totally with that. And you know, one of the things that got me into medicine, if I briefly tell you my story that got me into medicine, it started with ecology, okay? I become fascinated with ecology because when I did my A-levels, which was 1970 to 72, it was a big thing then, that we are polluting and disrupting the fine ecosystems that make up the ecology of the world. Now, what I mean by ecology are the systems that keep, uh, to use a term, nature working. Okay? There is a principle... uh, And stop me if you don't understand me. Okay? Really important. There is something called the anthropogenic principle. That means there is a principle which is around man, which means that the whole of the universe is fine-tuned around you and me. Okay? We, as human bodies, are incredibly fine-tuned. We upset that balance, and we can't live. Okay, so everything is fine-tuned. The globe is fine-tuned, no question. But ecology was the kind of first introduction of environmentalism, the study of the environment and the protection of the environment, that actually took me into biology and took me into medicine. Although I always, you know, felt that God had given me the mandate to be a doctor right from the age of two or three. So I am a committed environmentalist. And one of the things that really upset me when I was 16, 17, 18 was the destruction of the rainforests. Okay? Now, that is awful what we've done to our rainforests. The rainforests, when I was a teenager, were called the lungs of the earth. Now, I don't know if you know much of biology, but the whole thing is that we need oxygen and we produce carbon dioxide. Plants, trees, and all the green and the plant kingdom around us, the amazing thing is that they use carbon dioxide to make oxygen. So the first thing I want to tell you is that carbon dioxide is not a pollutant. It is not a greenhouse gas. Okay? So how did this theme of global warming all start? Well, believe it or not, it started on a hot, sweaty summer's day, deliberately, deliberately chosen, uh, on June the 23rd, 1988. You can pinpoint the day. A guy called James Hansen, who actually was an honest scientist, uh, but he, he worked uh, for a, subset, a, a subgroup of NASA, basically, and he, uh, there was a Senate hearing, and he reported that he was 99% certain the Earth was warmer than it had ever been measured to be. Fine, I agree with that. But there was a clear cause and effect relationship with the greenhouse effect. And lastly, that due to global warming, the likelihood of freak weather was steadily increasing. What he was saying was that global warming was man-made. And he was 99% certain. He produced some graphs at that point, which actually have been fairly accurate, but we'll put the backdrop to those graphs, yeah? So he was saying that he was 99% certain that global warming was man-made. This was just one man 
in a Senate hearing, it, it ricocheted around the world. You can imagine. You know, the news, if you just report good news in the papers, you'll go bust. You'll go bankrupt. Okay? Well known. You have to report bad news. And not only that, you have to alarm it. You have to make it alarmist. And I'll give you examples of that. So he was rewarded for this by becoming the director of a big global organisation that I, I, I won't kind of uh, go into. It's in the paper here that I've written. The second person to know about is Al Gore that Andy's mentioned. And you know, Andy and I were talking about global warming last night and Andy knows a lot about this topic as well, by the way. So he started off by uh, writing a book called Earth in the Balance in 1992. And, and, and actually, that was, he, he wrote a letter, sorry, in 1990 to the New York Times, which is a left liberal. You know the New York Times is left and liberal, don't you? Which was addressed and called to the sceptics on global warming. And, of course, that was, that again, ricocheted around the world. And he then went to the Rio conference um, in 1991 and, uh, you know, was elevated to be able to talk about this. And then Clinton was so impressed, he actually nominated him as vice president of the United States, to which he was appointed in 91-92. And that's how he hit the worldwide stuff. So for Al Gore, global warming became his passion. All right? And he then uh, produced a DVD, which is almost uh, compulsory viewing in the States. 33 million kids have seen it in the United States. You've got to think about this. This is like a gospel, yeah? So 33 million kids have been seeing this DVD, which was released in 2006, and it was called An Inconvenient Truth. It is incredibly well produced. It is extremely professional. It's, it's, it's very, very slick. It won the Oscar for documentaries in 2006. It was that good. So, of course, it hit the worldwide stage. Now, when it got to this country, there were some parents that got a bit upset about it, took it to court. And the judge in court said there were nine massive false scientific evidences or flaws in it with a further about 20, 25 other flaws, making a total of about 33 serious flaws. So much so that some of the, uh, if you like... Um, Unbiased scientists have said it's just full of lies, that it's been that strong. But yet that video continues to be produced around the world right now. And some of the graphs in it are totally wrong and, 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 the, and the fruit of complete data manipulation, which we'll look at in a minute. That's Al Gore. Uh, you recognise him. Yeah. yeah? Now, as Andy said, you know, you, let me tell you, and Andy said this, that the global warming agenda is also driven by money. People have made huge amounts of money. And let me tell you that the global warming agenda is deliberately set to make you and me bankrupt. Absolutely. All right? It's designed to make the West bankrupt. Our standards of living will plunge through the floor as a result of it. 
Now, Al Gore was worth, you know, nearly $2 million before he became vice president. The end of the DVD release, um, you know, about 10 years later, he was worth over $300 million. He has made a fantastic amount of money out of this. Yeah? Fantastic amount of money. So you've got to remember that. He's not, bi- he's not unbiased, I, I, I think. So nobody has achieved a higher profile than Al Gore in the global warming. He, he has captivated the media, you know, everybody's got a hold of it. So, as I said, you know, I hope you've understood the scientific method, because it's really important and key to what, what we're going to say. And the cornerstone of scientific inquiry is scepticism, okay? Really important to understand that. You'll read again and again. If you read, and I have written to The Guardian this week, all right? But if you read The Guardian and its comments about global warming, you read it. It is horrifying. It basically says we are committed to defending you, or on behalf of you, to, uh, you know, defend this issue of global warming to make sure it doesn't happen. You know, and it's, it's more eloquent than that. But, and, it's, and, and the papers and the media and Al Gore, the Al Gore has said the science is settled. Science is never settled. On the evidence of global warming, if I use the evidence of global warming to change treatments given to my patients, I'd have been thrown out 35 years ago. All right? It's that poor. And I think one of the things that medicine has taught all of us as doctors and me as a doctor is you've got to know the evidence is good. All right? You've got to know it. Because people's lives depend on it. So that's why, generally speaking... Medicine is very robust science. And I tell you, doctors are sceptical by nature when it comes to new medications. And the doctors in this country particularly so. And I can tell you several medications that have revolutionised certain diseases, yeah? When it, when it was first released, people were sceptical, including me. I was very reluctant to change until I knew this stuff was going to work. We all remember the thalidomide story, do we not? Thalidomide was released in 1959-1960 to help women in pregnancy with sickness and also to, um, it, it was also, um, ugh, I'm trying to give the non-medical term, hypnotic, but the, uh, you know, make, it helps you sleep, okay? Anti-sickness that helps you sleep, thalidomide. And suddenly children started being born, as you know, with no limbs. Phocomelia is the medical term for it. Now, that revolutionised the approach to every research trial to do with medicines in the world. Okay? It's never been the same. Uh, It changed it for the good. It became very regulated. You know, you had to be very careful about what you're trying to do. The science had to be proven in the laboratories. And I use thalidomide now. That shocks you, doesn't it? I use thalidomide on a daily basis. I work two days a week. But we now know, you see, why thalidomide caused phocomelia. Because we've done the science. And the reason is because thalidomide is very good at stopping blood vessels growing. And when blood vessels, you, when your arms grow in the, in the womb, you need the blood vessels to grow with it. Well, if the thalidomide stops the blood vessels, no limbs. But it's fantastically good as an anti-cancer treatment. It's revolutionised the treatment of myeloma. Okay? 
So that's an example, shows you that we have to be rigid with our science. Do you understand that? A global warming agenda is not rigid. So scepticism is integral to scientific inquiry. And I would argue that you know, two of the world's greatest scientists, Newton and Einstein, always approached everything with scepticism. And they were willing for their hypotheses to be disproved. They were that humble. Let's remember that. So, greenhouse gas. I'm just going to talk about carbon dioxide briefly. Stop me if you don't understand. So, the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is about 0.03%. Okay? 0.034%. It's tiny. Currently, the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is about 400 parts per million. Okay? Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Thank you. So it's about 400 parts per million by volume. Pre-industrial results are claimed to have been 275 parts per million by volume. But this is an example of corrupt data. So there's a guy called Calendar in 1938. He did 90,000 measurements around the globe uh, measuring carbon dioxide, okay? And he cherry-picked the results. And he cherry-picked them to make the carbon dioxide concentration in the earth lower than actually was. And he was heavily criticised the British Meteorological Society when he produced the data in 1938, Okay, the real results were 335 parts per million. We're now at 400. The person who's exposed that recently has uh, the attack on him by the left-wing media was such that he called it like the medieval inquisition. Yet all he was doing was actually showing the real science. Okay. 400 parts per million is still very, very good. It's been well known in biology for ages that plants thrive best at 1,400 parts per million. We have a long, long, long way to go before we're going to hit that. And so the 400 parts per million is actually irrelevant from the biology point of view. The actual thing is, is it relevant from the global warming point of view? We'll talk about that. Um, so, carbon dioxide, if you look at the greenhouse gases, so-called, the most important one is water vapour. 95% of greenhouse gas is water vapour. 4% of the greenhouse gas is carbon dioxide. So, it's tiny amount of the so-called greenhouse gas, and carbon dioxide is minute in the atmosphere. Okay? We should be looking... At water vapour, it's 95%. But the problem is, you see, you can't do anything about water vapour. It's not a cool thing to hang all your stuff on. So, let's look at calm dioxide. Now, just a couple of figures. You following me? Yeah. Okay. So fossil fuel carbon dioxide emissions in 1940 were about 9 gigatons. 
Just hold that. They're now 33 gigatons. Nobody, nobody actually denies the fact that carbon dioxide emissions from fossil fuels has increased. It, that's true. Now then, let's look at the sea. The oceans of the earth, world, which are 70% of the surface of the earth, they contain 150,000 gigatons of carbon dioxide. All right? The atmosphere currently contains about 3,500 gigatons. In other words, the oceans contain 50 times more carbon dioxide than the atmosphere does. And the oceans act as a sump. Do you understand what I mean by a sump? It's the kind of reservoir, if you like, for carbon dioxide. There is a law, which I won't bore you with, which actually proves there's an equilibrium between the atmospheric carbon dioxide and the ocean's carbon dioxide. So as the carbon dioxide in the air goes up, a lot of it goes into the ocean. If we were today to ignite all the fossil fuel reserves now that are held in the earth, and we'd go boof like that, we would increase the carbon dioxide amount in the atmosphere by 3,500 gigatons. We would double the carbon dioxide level in the atmosphere. But remember, it's only at 400 parts per million. The scientists who've looked at this said, OK, you can do that. You will actually, because of this equilibrium that occurs between the sea and the atmosphere, you would probably only increase the carbon dioxide levels from 400 parts per million to 450 or 480 parts per million. That's all that would happen. That's the science, that's the maths, and that's the data. Okay? Because the oceans would absorb far more. So percentage-wise? We're talking... So in percentages, now, you've got to remember we're talking about 0.038% of the Earth's atmosphere's carbon dioxide. So in terms of percentages, it would have no discernible effect, is the issue. All right? That's what's important. I've got some other maths to show you. I'm not going to get heavy about maths. Right, so that's, I, I'll deal with that a bit later on, yes. Yeah, so the greenhouse, of course, the point is that the Earth doesn't behave like a greenhouse because of the water cycle. Because heat transfer in the Earth occurs through, actually, precipitation and water vapour and, and heat transfer through that, and then it condenses back on the Earth, which is not how a greenhouse works. But, um, so, there's enough fossil fuel in the earth to last us at current rates about 200 years. Okay? So, so from those maths alone, I would argue, we can just keep burning, man. Keep burning. All right? Because it, it's going to make hardly any difference. Now, just to give you another little stat, if you take a carbonated drink, you know your bottled water with um, gas in it, okay? That has about 6,000 uh, parts per million of, by volume of carbon dioxide, which is about 60 times greater concentration of carbon dioxide than in the sea. In other words, the sea can absorb much, 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 much more. Okay? It's not a problem. 
Now, you will listen and hear about the pH issues to do with the sea. But you've got to remember, we're talking about tiny, 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 tiny amounts of carbon dioxide. All right? Now, it is true that we are destroying the rainforest of the Earth, and that's always been a passion of mine, and we shouldn't be. No question. But the algae of the Earth present in the oceans probably absorbs more carbon dioxide to make oxygen than the rainforests do. I didn't know that. But that doesn't say... I mean, I, I have really... It, it, it really dis, does something to me when I'm looking at the rainforest being destroyed. We all agree with that. And I'm not saying, as I said earlier, that, you know, pollution ain't a problem. It is a problem. Okay? So... Carbon dioxide, how do we measure it? This is really important. The way we measured it was a chemical method until 1959. Then the method to change it changed in that year based upon a new method that was uh, chosen by a family in Hawaii who lived near to a volcano there and they changed the measurement of the carbon dioxide in that year. It's stupefying this to any O-level student, A-level student, they have never calibrated the new method against the old method. Never been calibrated. What is more, it is well known that the carbon dioxide around this volcano is not representative of the average Earth's carbon dioxide level. So what are they doing using this as the new method to measure carbon dioxide? Yeah? It's unbelievable. Oh, and by the way, the person who, belo- who, who uses this method, um, a guy called Keeling, is actually a vital member on the IPCC. Now, let me explain what the IPCC is. The IPCC stands for the Intergovernmental Policy Panel sorry, on Climate Change. It's a UN-run institution, alright? It's mainly made up of bureaucrats. Alright? There's hardly any scientists there. They use scientists, and I'll go through some of this later. So he's a major member of this. And it's their vested interest, because they're run by the politicians, to actually toe the line. So he's not even independent. He's never calibrated his stuff against the 1959 data. Yeah? Before we go over there. Now, let's look at temperature. Since 1900, the global temperature... At 1900 to 1940, the global temperature's gone up and carbon uh, dioxide production was low because it's pre-main industrial area. Yeah, leave it at that. I'll talk about that in a minute. That's fine, Heidi. 1940 to 1980, the global temperatures fell when the carbon dioxide levels were rising. So you've got that, 1900, 1940, the temperature rose, carbon dioxide was low. 1940 to 1980, the temperature did that, and the carbon dioxide did that. Okay? 1980 to 1998, the temperature rose, and so did carbon dioxide. 1998 to 2014, guess what? The Earth's temperature fell. Okay? It fell. That is not... What Al Gore will tell you. Now then. 
Let's get on to some of the manipulation of the data. This graph is probably the most famous graph in scientific history. There was an unknown guy called Mann, Michael Mann, who was doing a PhD, who was looking at tree ring data and using it as proxy data. That means, you know, I can't measure the temperature over the last 300, 400, 500, 600, 700 years directly with a thermometer because I wasn't there and thermometers hadn't been invented. So we have to use data that reflects the changes in temperature. All right? And there's several stuff that you can use. Corals, ice cores, tree rings, to name but a few. All right? Now, man produced this graph. And you will see that the temperature seems to be pretty level from the year 1000 to 1900, and it shoots up. S in a in a exponential. Sorry. Okay. So the blue is the average of the red. All right. So the red. Thank you. So the red is is his version of temperature, but what? To, but to see it more clearly, you average it. So the blue is the average. So it looks like a hockey stick. Remember that term, hockey stick. All right? Now, in the first, the IPCC, I mentioned them earlier, has produced a number of reports. It's done five so far since about 1991, and they're called assessment reports. The next one is due out in 2022. The last one is 2016. Okay? Now, in 1998, you will see in its first report it used a different graph. Can you go on to... Let me just check. I'll put this in order. Next graph, Heidi, please. Okay. This is the graph that was in their IPCC report, first report. And this is the real one. This is the truth. Now, you will see... This goes back to AD 1000. Can you just graph the red out, Heidi, for me? Uh, You know, with your pointer follow the red line. So you'll see there's a medieval warming period that's about 850 to about 350, uh, 1350. Then dips into what's called the Little Ice Age, which went through the 1500s, the 1600s, the 1800s. We've all read in history that they actually had fairs on the River Thames. We all learnt that at school, didn't we? It was so, it was so cold. And that they were skating on the ice in the River Thames. Now, look what happens. It then comes out and everything starts getting warmer. And please note, it was getting warmer before the industrial production of carbon dioxide. Okay? Now, if you put that graph back to AD AD 0, AD 1, when Jesus was on this earth, there was an even bigger warming period than the medieval warming period. In other words, the earth was warmer during the reign of Jesus on the earth, when he was walking the earth, and it currently is, there were no fossil fuel burnings around that time. The calm dioxide levels were higher that time. Okay? And not only that, but it's well known that the Romans were planting vineyards in Greenland. Okay? So if... Yes, Barry? Yeah. 1373, I think it was, there was a European famine 
and that was down to two years of almost constant rain, uh, which wiped out all the crops, and then they had to eat the animals. And That's right. The animals, yeah. they ran out of animals. Yeah. And they put that down to climate change. Yes. Well, yeah, they did. And that, that's when they started going into the ice age. Yeah. And the yeah. ice age. Yeah. Just at that time. Yeah. Absolutely right. And the interesting issue about history, so if you look at the Roman period, the, the one that's not on this chart, you'll see that health went up, population exploded, agriculture went through the roof, the economies of the nations just blossomed. And that when, as you say, when it came into the little ice age, the whole thing crashed. So, you know, that's an important issue. So, we're coming out of the little ice age, and the graph is going up. So, if you go back, Heidi, to the previous slide, you will see they took out the ice age, and they also took out the medieval warming period. They manipulated the data. All right? Now, it's more complex than that. And if I had scientists in the room, they would be saying, hang on a minute, it's more complicated. But that's the basis, and that has been proven. Now then, in, 19, uh, sorry, in 2005, there was an, a thing called ClimateGate. Uh, 2008, sorry, was ClimateGate. Who's heard of ClimateGate? Yeah. Now, you see, ClimateGate was as big as Watergate. But nobody's heard of climate gate. So what happened, this is now into the University of East Anglia. This is this country. University of East Anglia holds the climate research unit, CRU. Okay? And some anonymous person released a thousand emails, a bit like WikiLeaks, just into the Ethernet. It was dynamite. Because basically it showed that the scientists behind the hockey stick curve wanted, yeah, uh, wanted to erase the data that I've just shown you. And there were emails showing, and I quote, we have to get rid of the Little Ice Age or I have to get rid of the Middle East warming period. Um, there were emails that showed that scientists were trying to delete other emails because there were Freedom of Information Acts after them. So it was really big. Another 5,000 emails were released a year later. Yeah? And not only that, but there are a couple of really famous uh, scientists, McIntyre and McKittrick, if I've pronounced their names, who were two Canadian researchers. One of them was actually semi-retired. He's a meteorologist or a miner. And um, they started looking at man's data, the hockey stick data, Man has consistently, to this day, refused to release his original data. Two scientists. Yeah, so two scientists, McIntyre and McKittrick, and I've listened to them on video. Uh, listened to, sorry, I've listened to McIntyre. Very honest guy. He is not out to prove whether, which side is winning. He's just out to be an honest scientist use scientific reasoning and demonstrate the real data. And it's astonishing. So, um, the battle of the graphs. So, these are the battle of the graphs. And these two people that I've just uh, spoken about exposed in published papers the fact that the hockey stick curve was wrong 
and that the bottom curve was the correct one. And they have not been allowed, even worldwide reputable journals refuse to publish some of their work. Okay? So there is now a very good website called climateaudit.org, which all of you can look at. There's some astonishing videos on there. Some of them are only four minutes long. So what happened was the stick was created by using deliberately selected tree rings which represented precipitation, okay, that means the amount of rainfall, if you like, and not temperature. And when this showed a downturn, which was famously called the decline, so where the exponential increase incurs, the original data actually showed a decline. So they had to reverse that decline to that. And what they did was they changed the data from proxy data to real-life temperature data, fiddled the results. This uh, top graph is still on Wikipedia as I speak. Okay? The other thing is the BBC this week has published... If you look at the bottom graph, Heidi, and it will only publish... The, the temperature from, I can't remember exactly where, but around 1600 to now, showing that the Earth's climate is getting hotter. I'm not denying that the Earth's climate is getting hotter. None of us are. It is. The argument is how much of it is man-made. I would argue almost zero. Okay? How much time have I got? Twenty minutes. So, just a couple of other flaws. I, you know, this takes hours to go through. McIntyre McKittrick have spent about fifteen years looking at some of this data. Okay, years and years and years. It's it's taken their whole lives, and I can see that it can become obsessional. This, by the way, it can become an obsession because you get so cross with it. So there was, a, there was a book, Climate Gate, written by Mosher and Fuller, which exposed Mann and Phil Jones. Phil Jones was a professor at University of East Anglia. Now, there are a number of investigations into their data. It was a whitewash. In other words, the people who did the investigations were often involved themselves. And, you know, that's why Climate Gate was suppressed by the media. You know, it was just not out there. So let me just, another kind of mistruth happened December the 31st, 2019 on the BBC. The BBC have made it its mission that they will not allow a climate change denier, as it's called, and we'll talk about that label in a minute, on the BBC... And if they do let one on, they'll always follow it by someone who is pro-climate change. How unscientific is that? So, sea levels, this is fact, have risen about 3.4 millimetres a year this century with no acceleration. In other words, from 1900, sea levels have climbed you know, a tiny bit, which is about 0.3 metre a year. Sir David King brought on to counter Matt Ridley on the BBC on New Year's Eve this year, 
claimed we would see one to two metres rise this century because he was brought on to negate what Matt Ridley had said. Matt Ridley's got a really good blog site, okay? He's not a scientist, he's an economist, if you like, but he uses, he, he writes a lot of sense. And um, he, he said uh, things about uh, other things which were, which were simply not true, including the Greenland melt. Now, at current rates of melting, the Greenland ice cap will be 99% intact by 2100. That's the current rates. But you see the other side won't have it. Now, you know, I, we're all open to saying this could be wrong. Let's see how we predict climate change. This is astonishing. So the IPCC have produced 22... They've got 22 climate models. Now, there's this old saying, garbage in, garbage out. So what they do with these climate models is they put in what they think they should put in and leave out what they think they should leave out. Climate change and weather is so complex, nobody knows really what to put in and what to leave out. Okay, and these climate models take, don't take account of certain things. They run the models, 22 of them, several times, take the average of each, then take the 22 models and average that. So we're looking at an average of averages. The climate models have been shown to be wrong all the time, so far. Their graphs are wrong, yet the whole of the world looks at them. Now, how can you do climate change on the basis of a, 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 a computer model when you have no idea what data to put in? Because we don't, is the bottom line. Okay? Have I convinced you? Um, so, yes, yeah, so, you see, the BBC this week have put the bottom graph on, which is right, in a sense, but it doesn't show you doesn't show the, whole. the whole picture. It is cherry-picking of the data. Okay? Really important. Now, let's look at some of the politics. How much longer have I got? I'm going slow here. Right, okay. Yeah, okay. So... The important thing is, how did this all occur? So there's a guy called Maurice Strong who, is, who effectively um, created the IPCC uh, by getting the World Meteorological Organization to meet together uh, with a political aspect of it, which is called COP, which is, do you know, I always forget what COPA, COP stands for. I'll come to it in a minute. But it's, it's um, a committee of participants, I think. It's basically the nation's meeting. Um, and the next COP, this is important. We're now, so they meet every year, okay? The next COP is December 2020. Guess where it is? Edinburgh. We need to think and pray about that. All right? Because they're now behind global warming. So it's, it's, um, it's the next... Co- it's Conference of Parties. So it's the Conference of Parties, and that's basically represented from every nation to meet, to discuss climate change. Conference of Parties. Next one, it's the first time it's ever been held in the UK, and it's Edinburgh this year. I discovered that this week. So... Maurice Strong has 
a strong agenda and has driven all this. And of course, guess what? He belongs to something called the Club of Rome, which was founded in 1968. Club of Rome. And it was the first, meet, the first meeting was held at the David Rockefeller estate. Now, by now, your antenna should be spreaking up. Alexander King was the president of the Club of Rome in 1991, which was a strategic year for the global warming stuff. He quotes, and I quote what he said, identify global issues so-called, calling the enemy humanity itself, and the change behaviour that was required was to seek one world socialist government. That's the Club of Rome. So, can I just summarise? We have a man who was instrumental in setting up the IPCC, which has a political agenda, yeah, that is a member of the Club of Rome that is committed to one world government. All right? That's all fact. You can read it for yourselves. I've been doing a lot of research. And you can read it yourselves. Okay? It's really, really interesting. Let me tell you something about the IPCC um, assessment reports. There is something called the SPM, which is the Society of Policymakers. They have to meet before the science of the IPCC is released. And if they don't agree with the science, they bounce it back to say, change it to what we want it to. Okay? They just send it back. They just send it back. So it's politicised. I just want to read you what Dr Judith Curry, professor and former chair of the School of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences at the Georgia Institute of Technology wrote. I quote, The exposed climate scientists gave preferential treatment to close allies. They did not share their data. They did not act in a disinterested way, as the whole email communication reveals. On the contrary, they act strategically, showing self-interest and zeal. Above all, they wanted to communicate the political message of their research that the Northern Hemisphere has never been as warm in the past millennium as it is at present and boost their own careers. Finally, they did not foster organised scepticism but tried to stifle sceptical voices. Okay? So that's just, that, that's just one of many, many quotes that I, I have written down and I haven't got time to, to really go through. So, because I've got a short time to do this, what is the spirit behind all this? Okay? Now, the people who lead this are openly saying that they want world government, one world government. Now, here I want to explain the difference between socialism in its real definition and capitalism in its real definition. Okay? Capitalism is rapidly becoming associated, if you like, with conservative views. And in turn, because of the change in the world to ideological insights, is identified with the gospel. Sociology, in its purest form, is Marxism and Leninism, okay? That has at its heart atheism, anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-Bible and anti-freedom to you and me. It's all about 
the commune. It's all about in the hands of the state. It is all about, if you like, animal farm. It's controlling the masses. That's what's at the heart of all this stuff. Left wing and right wing. Is it no surprise to us that we're seeing a polarisation of ideologies right now? It's ultimately the church, the Lord, against evil. Ultimately, that's what's behind it. So the ideologies behind global warming are that. So when you read the left-wing papers, it's ideology. I've written an email to the Guardian this week, to the Environment uh, Department, and I asked the question, are you following an ideology or are you following the real science? Legitimate question, I believe. You know? And... The agenda, therefore, is decidedly, and I've written it here, anti-Western, anti-democratic and anti-capitalism. What that means is that these guys want to destroy, literally destroy the West as you and I know it. Now, let me give you an example. Carbon trading. There's this thing set up by Al Gore, and this has been shown, there's a lot of corruption through all the finance of this, but that if you do something that produces carbon dioxide, you have to offset that by paying some company or other money where they invest it in something that is carbon neutral, if you like. What that does is it kills your economy like that. So, and I don't... I don't believe it. You see, I don't believe carbon dioxide is a pollutant. I will keep on doing my air travel, by the way. It doesn't bother me, because I actually think the whole thing's a lie. But global elitists are trying to establish their one-world agenda. That's what it's about. The agenda is to promote fear. Many kids are are, are writing to um, Clive Beissner. I don't know if you've heard of... Clive Beisner. He's, I've heard him speak in America. He's, his whole thing is, is, is basically to combat things like global warming. He's got a brilliant website. And he's having kids writing to him, scared stiff about the future, because they read the papers going, we're all... Do- I've heard it this week. I've heard it this week on the media. In ten years' time, there's no hope for the world. Okay? The mark of the beast will introduce a totalitarian police state. Absolutely. Won't it? This is yeah? all setting up one yeah. It is. It it's is. It is. State. And I want to just, by the way, that I'm to quote to you, uh, this is something that I thought about. Uh, Daniel 8, 12. I'm just quoting the second half of the verse. Truth was thrown to the ground. Okay? We're living in an era of fake news. No question. We can't trust anything that we read. We have to identify those people who are trying to be honest. There are lots and lots of honest climatologists out there. Lots of them. But their voice is not heard. 
Let me tell you, if they put in a paper, a, a, a proposition for a paper, the way you get funding as a scientist is you have to put in your proposed experimentation. Uh, and that's the base on which you get your funding. But those people who are climate change sceptics, as they're called, don't get their funding. People and professors who speak out against climate change, they lose their pro- prof- professorships. That's right, in this country. And, you know, this is the, this is the, the danger. It, it, it's no, it's no uh, surprise to me that one of the guys that exposed the hockey stick curve was semi-retired. You see, this is why I increasingly think, and I want you to hear this, this is, I believe, a word from the Lord. People over 60 who are Christians have got such an important role on the earth today because we cannot be got at I want you to remember that you know at at 60 and over you know we are if I can use this term because we're never retired in Christ but you know what I mean we've actually got we've got nothing to lose we've got nothing to lose and I want the over 60s to rise up in every aspect You know, we have to defend our children. Our children who are Christians are at risk more than we are. And we have to defend them. We're the voice piece, yeah? So important. So the agendas to promote fear. Fear of global doom causes people to act at all level. Leads to enormous political and social change, causing mass increase in taxes. That's what's going to happen. In the end, it will undermine democracy because capitalism, which I haven't defined, is really and effectively, and I'm making a sweeping statement here, based on the Bible. Okay? Free market economy and the free will of the people and minimal global interference is biblical. Okay? It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So... I'm not here talking about classic socialism as we saw in the Labour Party. I'm talking about modern ideologies, which are extreme. Okay? Remember this, the Nazi Party was actually the Socialist Party. Uh, You know, um, Hitler hated the Jews. He hated what they stood for in free market economy and capitalism. He was a socialist. All power to the centre. He was a globalist, you know. So I'm going to skip, I'm going to finish. Uh, I just want to just emphasise a couple of things. So I've, I've pointed out that God appointed Adam and Eve to steward the earth. We know that, yeah? And I don't want us to go home thinking that I am not understanding the, the importance of us stewarding our earth, Okay? I do want to say one more scientific fact which really gets me. So, we're turning away from fossil fuel where we're making carbon dioxide, which all the trees love. And because we're making so much more electricity, and let's forget the batteries that we're having to put in our cars for now, which cause untold amounts of pollution. Absolutely. Let's talk about the increased uh, electricity we're having to make. And the way that you prevent arcing in power stations is this substance called SF6. Now, it has received some attention by the BBC. SF6 evaporates out of power stations 
it is 26, uh, sorry, 25,000 times more global warming than carbon dioxide. It stays in the Earth for well over a thousand years, and no one is talking about it. Also, for every gram of SF6, uh, it's the equivalent of about 30 kilograms of carbon dioxide. And it stands for sulfur hexafluoride. That's right. Is what it stands for. Yeah, it's thank you. It's highly poisonous, and yet this stuff is worse than any carbon dioxide. And yet we're, you know, having to go to electricity, electricity like mad. Wind turbines. Wind turbines are, are, ma- are having to use FF6. And it's, it's just a no... You know, are we stupid? Yes. So, sorry, car batteries... Oh, OK, so... Uh, car batteries is another issue, but it, it contains lots of rare metals and... Yeah, leaking out. Sorry, yes. Yeah, before you finish it, uh, what do you think about the nitrogen dioxide? The what, sorry? The nitrogen dioxide. Nitrogen dioxide yeah. is... So, uh, to be honest with you, I've not looked at that. Um, I mean, I look at sulfur, sulfur dioxide, but most of the sulfur dioxide made is from volcanoes and methane gas. Cars. Uh, yes. And then that's making the air pollution. Or, or well, carbon dioxide, yeah, I mean, in. Th- Sorry? Right, so I haven't read anything about nitrogen dioxide because all the literature that I've read is related to CO2, which is where the, the focus is on. Um, but I will say one other thing. So. What causes the Earth's atmosphere to heat up? What happens is it's the infrared radiation that comes off the Earth that buzzes your molecules, okay? Now, this is another important thing. Remember I said that water vapour is 95% of greenhouse gases? The molecules in the water vapour absorb 140 times more heat than carbon dioxide does. So not only is it 95% more, it's 95% of the greenhouse gas, they're 140% receive more of the heat. So in other words, all I'm trying to say is carbon dioxide effect is minimal. So... So, we have to come, at the end of the day, we have to come to the end of going to the warmer, because the ozone is going to be broken. The ozone. Yeah, so the ozone layer, my understanding, is currently improving. But the most of the warm, the, the heat of the Earth, um, you know, is the sun, and it's, it's solar spots. And that's another thing that I haven't talked about. But... Um, we are actually entering an era where the solar um, spots are probably going to a minimum, and there is some discussion, I've read it this week, that we're actually going to be entering another ice age. We are. We are so, you know, that's another factor. Um, so, 
you know, I've written here, radical environment, environmentalism has corrupted what started as a legitimate concern. Now, how, thank you, Heidi. I've left my slides, but did you pass one where I want to show you other alarmist stuff that has not come to fraught? Can we go to that one? Uh, no, so that's what happened on December 31st. I've already talked about that. Uh, this is SF6. That's F SF6. Uh, right, okay. Um, so... Paul Ehrlich wrote a famous book. It's a worldwide bestseller. Um, and he predicted worldwide famine in the 70s and 80s due to population outgrowing the world's food supply. Okay? It became big news. I, I can remember. Now, there are two Paul Ehrlichs, and I don't want you to confuse them. Paul Ehrlich of the population bomb and Paul Ehrlich of the magic bullet, which is a medical thing, which, uh, who was a lot um, older. Thomas Malthus wrote a book. He was a great writer. In, he's English, actually. He went to the University of Cambridge. And he was the first person to, ra to raise the issue that world population would outgrow the food supply. And it's become known as Malthusian theory. But it's never been proven. There's another... Uh, can you go to the one before that? This just shows you the reason why global warming was renamed climate change. Because when you look at the average global warming up to about 1998, um, you'll see that it went up and then it, it started to go along. And I've also marked the uh, calm dark side, or not me, but <laughs> that's the famous graph. Go, go to the next one, Heidi. Go back to Paul Ehrlich. Uh, go to the next one. Right, polar bears. I must mention polar bears. So what become an iconic picture of the global warming agenda was a polar bear sitting on an ice floe. The basic being that polar bears are going to be extinct as the ice flows melt. Okay? So there's been a brilliant book written uh, by Susan Crockford, which I've got, and she calls it the polar bear catastrophe that never happened. It's erudite in its writing. It quotes pure science. You know, it is boring to read but it is real science. Yeah. And the polar bear population currently is exploding. It's completely... Um, and yet Al Gore will continue to quote it. And she has been vilified. Yeah. Because they can't attack the science, because it's true, they've gone after the individual. After the individual. And that's the way that the uh, left-wing agenda works. They label you. So I use the term climate change denier because that's an emotional term it identifies you with holocaust denial do you see what I mean it's a, it's a label it's all about groupthink also Goebbels uh, said and knew this if you sell a lie often enough people believe it can you go on to the next one is there another one no so it's one before sorry I want yeah go before that Go for that, go for that, go for that. This is NASA also in its data line, but go on before that. Okay, so go forward. There was a really important slide I just want to show you. I've, uh, go to the last... Yeah, okay, right, go to... Yeah, that's it, that's the slide. Time magazine in the 70s, headlines... We're coming to an ice age. Time magazine headlines recently, global warming. Okay? 
So we had this incredible scare story through the 60s and 70s of an ice age coming. A time when the temperature of the earth was known to be, you know, going up. And they come out with that. And then there's that very emotive polar bear on an ice flow. And it's still used. Yet the science behind that is wrong. So, what is behind all this? Denise, my wife, said, I've been praying about this this week, and I came to a realisation that global warming is all about earth worship. Global, you know, it's all about... I, Gaia, the worship of Gaia. It's worship of the earth, okay? So what they do is they take a partial truth and turn it into an agenda that's corrupted. Yeah, that's what the enemy does, isn't he? Always takes a partial truth and corrupts the agenda. And so, uh, other interesting stuff that has occurred this week, I don't know if you've seen Pope Francis, but he's wanting to get all the um, religions of the earth together to talk about children, you know, sounds very noble, and, you know, help them with understanding love, etc. You know, there's this bringing together ecumenical global church, fulfilling what we talk about when we use the term mystery Babylon, which is something that I'm studying. So, what do we do? What's our response? Yeah? We know and understand biblical prophecy. This church, more than any other, understands the times in which we live. You've got leaders in this church that really enable you to have prophetic insight into the times in which we live. And we are the generation that were created for some time as this. And our God is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen? And we know that, and we know what the end story is. We know what it is, yeah? But we have to interact with the world, and we each of us have to decide how we're best going to do that. I, I, I talk to people at work all the time about climate change. I just niggle it. You know, because we've got to get it out there that people have got to think, hang on a minute, it is fake news. I provoke in newspapers. I, I'm gonna, and, you know, we need to think about what we're going to do about the COP meeting in December in this country. So I hope I've given you a little bit of insight. Um, I had enough here for about three hours, I realise. Um, but I've, I've made this paper that, um, you know, it's about 22 pages of it. And I, I'm going to um, make it into prose so that you can understand it, if you want to have a look at it, just so that you can think about what I've said. I've, I've spent ages um, compiling this. Um, but um, amen, eh? Amen.